0: Well, welcome, everybody. It's good to see everybody tonight. I am pleasantly surprised at how many people came out in this inclement weather. Um, I'd like to welcome those who are watching on live stream. We're actually streaming with an iPhone tonight, so uh, hopefully it's working properly. So if you're at home watching, I'd like to welcome you and go ahead and get your cup of coffee or hot cocoa and your Bible and your notes and and get ready to get started. So... um, for those who are here tonight, thank you for coming out. It's, it's a kind of an odd weather pattern. It's, it's sort of a front, but it's not a front. It's kind of occluded, and so that's why you have this tropical system moving up from Cuba or whatever this is going on, but um, it's good to see everybody tonight. Um, I do have a couple of announcements. So announcement number one is simply going to be that we still have the uh, journals available, and they're on the back table. If you wanted to get with Deb for the journals, we're going to be in Hebrews for quite some time. So, I mean, it's taken us; it's going to probably take us two or three weeks to get through chapter two. Um, so, the journals are still available. I know a lot of you do have actually uh, uh, your own journals and your own notes that you take, uh, sometimes right in the Bible itself. Um, so, uh, the second announcement is that we will not be having Bible study next week. That's the day before Thanksgiving. And so, sorry Frank, (laughs) Uh, so we were going to be skipping next week and we'll pick it back up the following week. And uh, depending on how far I get tonight, uh, we'll see how that goes. So, um, well again, I want to welcome everybody, Uh, got through my announcements, I'm kind of going going slowly here, I want to make sure that I take my time in this and... uh, uh, last week I had a, some good feedback, like when I give verses out to go a little slower so you can write things down and make sure that I... It seems like an eternity that I wait, but it takes a while to write things and write titles and write verses, so that was excellent feedback. So um, so as we get started, let's go ahead and um, open up with a word of prayer. And again, at the end of this, at the end of the Bible study tonight, I'd love to take prayer requests again so we can have a, a time of prayer after that as well. So let's go ahead and bring this... Uh, bring this Bible study to the Lord tonight. Father God, we, we love you. We, we thank you for you. We thank you for uh, the rain, even though it's, uh, uh, it's kind of a strange time of year for a tropical system. Lord, we uh, we appreciate the rain and, and all that it brings uh, to the grass and to the trees and to the birds and the animals. Father, we, we enjoy that. Lord, we, we, uh, we want to thank you for those who are online watching tonight and um, that might not be feeling well and um, we know of a couple that are not, not, not feeling well, Lord, we want to lift them up to you. Um, and we also want to thank those who have come out tonight for the study, Lord, that you uh, uh, would bless them in this study. Uh, that in, as we study your word tonight, that your Holy Spirit, again, will illuminate text to us and, uh, and illuminate these words that you have given us, Father, that we may not only see them and learn about things, but we may learn how to apply them in our Christian walk. As we look at you and your character and what you've done for us, Father. Uh, in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. So, what I want to do is, a, is just kind of a review uh, briefly, just to kind of, this, this book is written almost as if it's a, uh, a defense for the truth of the gospel of salvation. And it starts out right out of the gate in chapter one with saying, Christ is better than the angels. Because a lot of the Jews in that time were, were looking at angels and, and some were considering what they would say. And uh, they were going back to some of the uh, Judaizing type of uh, religion, that, that religion where it was, it was stifling, and, but in a way for them it was safe. And uh, so we, wanna, we saw in chapter 1 that Christ is better than, than, than the angels. And it, it kind of continues. And if you just take a look at chapter 2, um, it said to not drift away. To, to stay close, to stay tight, to stay moored and anchored to the true gospel. And I think that was really critical uh, in, in that very first part of 2. And then as we kind of went through chapter 2 a bit, we talked about the message that was declared by angels, uh, and then there were three things that 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 solidified, if you will, what that original salvation in the gospel was. If you look and turn to chapter 2, verses... Uh, Verse 3, it starts by saying, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Number one, it was declared first by the Lord. Number two, it was attested to us by those who heard, apostles and witnesses. And number three, God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So he's doubling down on... The fact that it is a right and real salvation based on what you knew from the past—you know that, you know the law was right, and you know there was punishment for the law. How much greater is this new salvation that Christ has given us? And then He affirms it by saying, "You know, you saw these three things." Kind of doubled down on the on the argument. Then we get into this beautiful part that 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 sort of elevates to a, to a great standard mankind uh, and, and how you know and it, it kind of re, it goes back to Psalm 8 if you read this through here at the end of 5 it says what is man that you are mindful of him what a beautiful verse that is what, of all of all the universe that was created billions of stars and 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 tens upon thousands of animals and species and plants and seeds and grain and the oceans vast and deep and the wind and the waves and the, 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 the storms and all that. What, what is man that you actually pay attention to him, that you give him so much honor in, in a way? So it says that, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while, lower than the angels. That's us in humankind. And you've crowned him with glory and honor. What a beautiful passage that is. Putting everything in subjection under his feet. Dominion. And then it continues on through 8. But if you look at, notice an 8 there, the very end of it. Well, actually, let's, let's just kind of continue. It says, where it says, now. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, man, God left nothing outside of his control. Dominion. However, at present it says, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. In other words, man was not at his full potential because of the fall, because of sin. And then it says, but, in verse 9, but, we see him, which refers to Christ right here, who for a little while, like man, which is very important, was made lower than the angels, that's the condescension of Christ, namely Jesus, that's we're talking about him, crowned with glory and honor, which kind of goes back up to repeat what what man has done, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So it's talking about man and the beauty of mankind, and then it talks about Christ who has been subjected or has come down. Is this ringing a little bit or not? I keep hearing ring. Oh, okay. So I just want to make because we're doing a different system. So so man so Christ came down and became man, lowered himself, humbled himself, and through death made salvation for everyone. So that that's kind of the wrap-up between uh, chapter two, kind of what we covered last week, which brings us to ten. But yes, ma'am. Yes. Is there a reason I don't my Bible? Yes. No, not necessarily. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it isn't. Sometimes you'll find in Scripture that where you think it should be a capital H for God or Jesus, it's not. And it just really depends. Sometimes it depends on context. It depends on the actual translation as well. I think King James was really good about every single, you know, capitalizing every single H. Uh, and there's new translations as well that that actually have the word uh, Yeshua, or and then or you know in different. And then the Lord is capitalized sometimes. Sometimes it's not. So to answer your question, here mine isn't either. Uh, but in, in some translations, I think it can ESD be. ESV does not, right? So, but we do know from as we continue to read, though, based on the on this on this sentence, it was a great question. Why is the H not capitalized? If it's Christ, well, for a little while, and then it says, namely Jesus. So because of that, we know that was that was Christ that it's talking about. So wonderful question there, though. So. Before we get started, I, I, this, this, there's three major themes or you know, points of these particular passages we're going to go through tonight, and I, I, the, the second one is just so beautiful. I want to read just lyrics from a song that, that I grew up with in my church, and I know, Lou, you're going to know this for sure, uh, so most of you probably will know this. But it was written in 1970, and I'm just going to read, I want to read the part of the main chorus of this song, because this chorus ties in beautifully with the second point of this particular chapter, or this particular text that we're going to be going through tonight, okay? So let me just read this, and, and I'll, as, I'm not going to sing it, because I'm a better guitar player than I am a singer, and you don't want, you don't want to hear me sing, and it sounds like, like a cat in a dryer, so... Um, <laughs> I'll just read it for you. You'll you'll be be pleased. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain and cleansed by his blood. Joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod, for I'm a part of the family, the family of God. How many know that song and remember that? Yeah, hands up, right? Most people uh, I never knew as a child that it said Sod. I didn't, Sod, really? I mean, obviously we trod Sod, but I thought it was like, I was like, traveled this lot, or traveled this, I don't, but anyway, Sod. But but, we are part, as believers, of the family of God. It's a Bill Gaither song, and, and I actually read some of the context of that song, and the tragedy that happened, and the people, the body of Christ that came around the tragic person, that was with the event that occurred, someone got badly burned, and the body of Christ, the family of God, came around that person and, and, and helped them through this awful trial, and, and, and that's how the song was born. Now, we're going to take it to a different context tonight, but we are part of the family of God because we are joint heirs with Jesus, and that's, it's mind-blowing. It really is, and the more I studied this, the more I had to just kind of sit back and and, and, and just relish the, the thought, the idea of, of what Christ actually did and what God's plan was. So I just thought that was a beautiful uh, passage. I love that, that, that hymn, that chorus, whatever you like to call it, was going through my head for a couple of days. So uh, the family of God. So if you'd like to write down a title for this particular teaching tonight, I would say that it's God's perfect plan of salvation god's perfect plan of salvation that would be the overall title for this god's perfect plan for salvation of salvation for salvation so the three points i have here we may get to the three points we may not we'll just see how the holy spirit leads and how far i end up getting and how long I might take on something, how much detail I go into, what I do like to do, as far as Bible study goes, for understanding purposes, I want to make sure that we get the big picture of what's going on in the passage, an understanding of it, because sometimes it reads difficult. If, if anybody has read this section, it's, it's a little awkward, it's a little strange in parts, and then kind of go back and, and, and unpack it a bit. And so we get an understanding of what particular words mean and what it, wh- who we're talking about in this department, and, and what does it mean by it was fitting, like, like things like that. So, um, so the three points, let me see if I can just kind of, I, I'll read them to you, don't write anything, I'll come back and try to summarize them for like a simple, simple point. So the first point's going to be, the majestic creator of all things determined both the means and the end of the plan of redemption for mankind, that's the first thing. The second point is we are co-heirs with Christ eternally, and he submitted himself to death to be able to call us brothers and sisters in the family of God. The third point, if we get to it, because Christ became truly man and experienced human trial and even death, he truly can be our compassionate and faithful high priest, That's the third major point. So, I would say point one is that God determined both the means and the end of redemption, if you want to write that down. God determined both the means and the end of redemption. And in place of that word redemption, you could also write salvation. That's the salvation we're talking about. That's the one that this author is defending all through this book. So God was a creator of all things. Uh, excuse me, God was creator of the means and the end of the plan of salvation. So let's just start there. Let's start with that one, and we can get to the next one as we kind of traverse the next few verses. But I do want you to notice the way this text is written, as we get into this part, he's almost just sort of... Uh, Stating the facts in a way. So the first part was, don't drift away. And then he he said, well, here's why. Because the salvation is the real deal. This is important. It's better than the old salvation, which you knew was was legitimate. So don't drift away from that. And then he goes into this beautiful talk about man and uh, that God is mindful of him. And then he talks about how Christ condescended, took on flesh, and was our salvation and made... So as we come into 10 here, let me just kind of get my notes in order. But before we start this, I I do want to ask you a question. And it's an honest question. And I've thought about this many times and I know other people have as well. But do you ever wonder why God used this particular the particular plan of redemption that he did 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 his son really have to come to earth and die could god could have, couldn't he have just have kind of waved his hand a bit and said you know you're 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 forgiven or could he have sent just an angel to do the work of that christ did why wasn't that? Or could he have just simply not created sin to begin with, or allowed sin to take place for Satan to fall, which was all part of God's sovereign plan? And it just makes you wonder, like, why was it Christ? Why was it the second part of the the second person of the Trinity, who from the beginning was with Him? A lot of people say, "Well, what was God doing before He created the heavens and the earth, before mankind?" He was being a father, a loving father to his son, and in communion with his son. But we wonder why did he use this particular plan? And, and so I, I think that it's, you know, looking looking into this text, we, we begin to see that this particular plan of what we know of salvation, Christ coming to earth as man experiencing all that he experienced as we'll read through this it shows god's sovereignty over all things it shows his glory without evil you would not see glory without dark there is no light you see his love you see his compassion you see his perfection and you see his beauty i'll repeat those but you see god's sovereignty this plan allows you to see God's glory, His love, His compassion, His perfection, and His beauty. In fact, we see this all through Scripture. There are so many, every time I study a passage, or I'm sure that you study a passage, if you have a concordance, or you see those little little tiny little letters next to a word, and you look down at the bottom of your Bible, especially if you have a study Bible, and it refers you to another passage. Scripture affirms Scripture. I can't see how anyone that... I think the people that, that poo-poo the Bible or discredit the Bible or go, oh, that's just an old book. They've never put in the scholarship. It's lazy. They don't know. If you've truly studied the Bible, you know that it is a perfectly written book. We're going to refer back to a, a, a prophecy that, is, that lines up with what we read tonight, tonight and it's almost 800 years prior. And it's to, the two, it's to the nail. It's perfect. And so I think that as we see these scriptures affirm scriptures, um, it's just that scriptures are full of, of, of the same exact thing. It all points to Christ and redemption and this perfect plan that God has. Um, I love what Michael Kruger said. He's a modern-day theologian. He, he uh, is, is a theologian at uh, Reformed Theological, Theological Seminary, and he he uh, is a professor of the canonicity of Scripture, and he's a New Testament scholar, and that's what he does. And he has this beautiful quote: He says, "Our salvation depends as much on Jesus' humanity as it does his divinity." And I thought that was really appropriate for this particular passage. It depends what, what we've received from Christ and what Christ did on the cross and why it matters is His divinity is as equally important as His humanity. And we'll see that tonight. So let's begin in verse 10 as we kind of finally get into the text here. What I want to do is just read from 10, right up through 11. I'm going to stop right there, okay? So let's start in 10. This is Hebrews 2. We'll start in verse 10. I'm just going to read through it with you. For it was fitting that He for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers." That's a pretty hefty passage there, isn't it? It's deep. It's it's, it's beautiful but let's, let's start back up at the top of that. And we're going to first start by the word fitting. What does that mean? Fitting, for it was fitting. Does that mean it was appropriate? It does, in a sense. Was it fitting? And, and I, I, I was listening to something today in relation to this particular passage. I try not to do that till the very end, so that I don't come into a study just sort of biased in a way or leaning. But the, fitting, the, guy, the guy I listened to pointed out, he said, who is this author who has the gall to, to ask or determine whether something is fitting or not that God did? But it is fitting, and it's appropriate because God is sovereign. So as we look at the word fitting, that he, now he refers to God. Now here's the beautiful part of what, what that sort of bolsters the he, the God. This next line here, I love this. In fact, this next line should just... You shouldn't even have to question whether it was fitting or not. Because if you read this next line, it should, you should go, right, got it. God is sovereign, okay? So it says, For whom and by whom all things exist. All things. That's just, that should be the end of the story right there. Uh, but that's showing God's absolute sovereignty. Who are we to possibly question His plan, His motive... So was it fitting? Absolutely, but it kind of continues. Now we talk here about God's sovereignty. If you look back, if you you want to kind of put your placeholder in and turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53, I want to just kind of show you a, a text that was a prophecy that aligns very well with this. So Isaiah 53, if you could turn there. isaiah fifty three. and this being written probably seven hundred to eight hundred years prior, Not in the exact. so isaiah fifty three, and we're going to look at verse ten. isaiah fifty three ten isaiah fifty three ten. Read along with me here. It's just it, it just just as you look at these words, we'll stop a little bit. It said, Yet it was the will of the Lord. Some people's does anybody have it Please the Lord? Yeah. What version do you have? Was it KJV? King James. Yeah. It pleased the Lord, which means it was the will of God. It it pleased the Lord. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. We're referring to, obviously, God's Jesus' condescension and the suffering and the death of His only Son. There was the will of the Lord to crush Him. He has put Him to grief. When His soul makes an offering for guilt, and the offering is the Lamb of God, Uh, when His soul makes an offering for guilt, He shall see His offspring. He shall prolong His days. That's post-resurrection, where Christ lives, In fact, in Hebrews, he lives, and and in chapter 1, it said he uh, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's, that's, That's what that's referring to, and the offspring continue, and it says, the will of the Lord shall prosper his hand. Verse 11, out of the anguish, now notice that word anguish, anguish, put a pin in that, I hope to come back to it, but if I don't, just remind me that Christ was so human he suffered anguish. When I used to teach uh, art, we used to take and... and uh, it was a great project where students would, would have to divide a paper into 20 different squares, 12 by 18 paper, and 20 different squares. And on the back of those squares, they would write down 20 different emotions. Love, pain, excitement, you know, jealousy. And on the front side... They had to, using just lines, shapes, and colors, nothing realistic, they had to draw to uh, show or to um, illustrate the corresponding thing. So how do you draw love without any hearts, without any people? You just have to think of what colors represent love, what shapes represent love, what lines, and, and what type of movement of those shapes could do it. But, but, but as the point I'm getting to is on that, I always had the word anguish in there. And nine times out of 10, students would say, Mr. Walker, what is anguish? And I would say it's the deepest, darkest emotion someone can feel. The, 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 the worst dread possible. The, uh, the police coming to the door with horrible news. Uh, finding out, but but the anguish that Christ suffered as a human being makes him our perfect high priest, and there's a we'll get into that in a little bit. But I want you to notice that word anguish because that's what Christ felt in the garden as he bled drops of blood. Out of anguish, his soul; out of anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant make many to be accounted righteous, those are the believers, and he shall bear their iniquities or sins. That's, that right there is several hundred, 800 years prior to the actual event, that is prophecy of what Christ went through. So when it says here, we'll go back to Hebrews, let's go back to Hebrews where we were, because we're going to get into this part about suffering. But before we do that, let's let's go for. I'm sorry, let's back up. By whom and all things exist in bringing many sons to glory, that is you and I, and it should say sons and daughters, but it says sons. But that is who he brings to glory, back to the original state that he refers to up in. Up in, uh, if you look at verse seven, you have crowned him with glory and honor. And then the fall, then Christ comes, and then look at down here in verse 10 again, in bringing many sons, it almost should say back to glory, but to glory, many sons is us. So let me just kind of read this for continuity, let's continue. For it was fitting that He, God, for whom, whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons, that's us, to glory, should make... It's fitting for God to make the founder of their salvation, who is Jesus, Jesus founder, the originator, the captain. Some scripture says he makes him perfect through suffering. Which brought up a question for me What does that mean? Was Christ not perfect? We know he was perfect. So we really had to dig a bit here and figure out what that means. What does it mean to make someone perfect through suffering? Well, we know that Christ is perfect, there's Scripture's ad nauseum, that, that we know that, that Christ led a perfect and holy life. So turn with me, jump ahead a little bit to chapter 5. Let's look at Scripture, affirming Scripture. Chapter 5, which is, should be the next page for you, and let's go to verse 8. Verse 8, chapter 5, verse 8, and let's read through this, although he was a son this is Christ we're talking about, He learned obedience through what He suffered. And being made perfect in that obedience, He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. Christ knew no suffering prior to His condescension, his turning into man, coming to earth as a man, he knew no suffering, but on earth, he knew suffering, he knew temptation, and yet he passed, he did not fail, he suffered, but through the suffering, he was made perfect, he was tested and was made perfect, and here's the great substitution, where we fail, he succeeded. So what it means by being made was made perfect in suffering is that even though he was man and he felt the things we felt and he was tempted by everything that we felt and experienced all the things and he uh, to the point of death I can imagine on the tree on the cross that there might have been a temptation to just snap his fingers and go oh, I'm done. I'm done send down the angels and just wipe everybody out let's can we come up on another plane even in the garden even in the garden, even in the anguish, the drops of blood, Christ said, if there's another way, will you let this pass? That's how human he really was. But even through those trials, even through those testings, even, even starving when Satan came to tempt him, he did not fail. He was perfected where we were not perfected. And so that's what that means by he was perfected in his suffering in that chapter or in this particular verse. Does that make sense? No. No? So he, the founder of their salvation, he sorry, should make the founder. So God made the founder of our salvation perfect through suffering. Right. So when you say he was perfected, are you saying just that by him making it through those things and not? He he became a perfect sacrifice. That's what I mean. Right. That makes more sense. He became a, see, and the, let me tell you, yep. Hebrews, I'm, I'm blaming Brenton for this one. Hebrews is difficult, but, but he, we know Christ was perfect, but he was made a perfect sacrifice and lived perfectly in our place and died in our place where we could not. And so that's, that's how he was perfect. That's how he was perfected in a sense. That makes sense? Yes, some, some. Oh, we're getting to that. At, yeah. Go ahead. No, but he could identify with us. Yes. Because yeah. of all that we, let's face it, go through. Yeah. He, he felt every emotion yeah. That, yeah. that we do. Yeah. Yet, I mean, he got angry
1: when he went into the house of God. Righteous indignation. Dead. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. But, but again, yeah. it was without sin. Correct. It was, so we know he didn't sin. Right, so he was he was made perfect as a perfect sacrifice. He was perfect where we could not. Only one. That's right, right. Only one. That's correct. Yeah. So that was something that I looked at and I thought, well, that's a, that's a strange strange thing to say. But he was made perfect through suffering. So again, in, in verse five or chapter five, it says, although he was son, he learned obedience. He was perfectly obedient and being made perfect in that suffering and obedience, then he became the source of our eternal salvation to all who obey him. So basically what you're saying, is he was tempted just like us. Uh, Absolutely. And we'll, he never failed. He, he was always perfect. Correct. He was tempted, yet was perfect. I would imagine all through his life, like it doesn't record, the, Gosp- the, the, the Gospels don't necessarily record every single thing Christ did. Uh, maybe he was, had rocks thrown at him as a kid, and yet he didn't sin. Maybe he saw something, and yet he didn't sin. Maybe he was tempted with his friends at, by, when they were picking persimmons from the fruit baskets that, when people were looking, but he didn't sin. So every step of every breath of all 32 years on, the, on, the, on, the, on this earth, he never sinned. Even during the, the times when there was greatest temptation, when Satan himself was tempting him, he never sinned. He was perfect. He was made the perfect sacrifice through the perfect suffering. Even, so, even, um, Peter says that uh, when he was reviled, yes, he, did not, he didn't respond in, in defending himself or reviling back. Yes, or calling him that's right. Like jerks? Yeah, or yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, he just yeah. He Yeah. I hope that wasn't, yeah, exactly, that's the, that's the point. So I hope it wasn't clear as mud. We do know that from all of scripture that Christ led a sinless life. So when I say that he was made perfect through suffering, it just simply means that because we're not, he was. Right. And, that's, and we, get, we get to apply his righteousness. We know that, 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 that great, uh, what do they call it? The great transmission or the great, where, where we give Christ our sins and he closed us in his righteousness. It's called the great exchange. And that's what occurred there. And we are perfect because of him. Bob. One of the concepts of what perfection is, of what perfect is, is the concept that it is sufficient. It's yeah. Enough. Yeah. That's a good point. Bob, yeah, for the for those. Was sufficient. Correct. Yep. you got to also remember that the Father was suffering. Yeah. Yeah. So what was Bob was saying? Just for those online watching, I know you probably can't hear these things. That's why sometimes Bible study is difficult because there people online are just going, "Huh?" You know, on YouTube. So, um, but Christ, repeat that one more time, just the first part. Definition of, yeah. Perfection or or what? Yeah. It is to be perfect. Is sufficient. Yeah. Yeah. Definition says concept. Yeah, Christ, Christ was sufficient for us. And it reflects back to God's plan that when it says here, absolutely. But even his plan, though, it says it was fitting. It was fitting, which means it was correct without doubt. Karen, did you have something? Could we say also that another part where he was perfect, that he was perfectly dependent on the Father? Sure, sure. Yeah, perfectly dependent on the Father. Yes. Everything was in accordance to his father's will. He, 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 he obeyed his father perfectly. He is, that's why, that's why this whole book is pointing towards Christ, pointing towards salvation, pointing towards the perfect one, the perfect mediator, the everything. So I, 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 yes, all that was exactly right. Um, Goodness gracious, let's continue. Oh, we're never gonna get to point three, maybe to point two. Um, and and you know, sometimes these things are this is a very it's a tough passage at times. I, I can't I I can't imagine Paul wrote this, but I digress. Okay. Let's move on. <laughs> that was for Britain. So okay. Okay. Now let's continue on. Look at verse 11 here. I love this. So um, so for he who sanctifies, that's Christ, and those who are sanctified that's us all have one source now this word one source uh could mean it could mean god that was one translation one thing it really kind of gives an understanding or meaning of of all of this uh where's I, i think i had it or all all are of one is the greek translation all are of one and so that's where we are all part of god's plan to, for God to, from the beginning, the found, before the foundations of the world, to gather those who would come, that he had predestined to come, that Christ, he would give to his son Christ, that would become part of the family of God, right? So that's what this is talking about. So for he who sanctifies Christ and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why... He, who is the he here, Christ is not ashamed to call them brothers. So let's read that passage again all the way through. For he who sanctifies, for Christ who sanctified, and those who are sanctified, that's us all have one source, God and his full plan. That is why he is not ashamed, he means Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. Saying, now this is where we get into this beautiful passage from Psalm 22, which is really the second point of, our, of, our, of, of tonight's thing. We are co heirs with Christ eternally. Again, remember from we, we talked about how Hebrews often points forward in our salvation. Our salvation isn't necessarily just something that happened and then we go through our lives on earth and then we're done. No, so our salvation points us forward to be co heirs with Christ. We will serve with Christ, alongside Christ as brothers of Christ and sisters of Christ in eternity with Him. So it points us forward. So we are co-heirs with Christ eternally, and Christ submitted Himself to death to be able to call us brothers and sisters in the family of God. So that is why He is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying... Now, let's look at this passage here in Psalm. In fact, let's go to it if you want. We can turn to Psalm 22... Psalm 22, Psalms is it's about a third of the way into the Bible, maybe a little more than that. Psalms 22, let's just go there and, and we'll look at this. Now if you don't know, Psalm 22, I always say Psalms, it's Psalm, Psalm 22, I guess collectively the Psalms, Psalm, Psalm 22 is a, uh, a beautiful Psalm that is attributed to Christ. On the cross, the first 21 verses are the suffering. Verse 22 is where it turns to the glory, right in that, right in the, right in that particular verse. So it, it says here, Psalm 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers, Psalm twenty-two, twenty-two. in the midst of the congregation, I will praise you and this is this is referred to this is this is the author of hebrews is referring back to this song psalm both that is attributed to Christ in its context and its meaning and it says i will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation i will sing your praise christ is aware and fully dedicated and not ashamed to know and understand this, the, who we are as a body of Christ, who, who he is delivering, who God is giving him, and he's making that huge point here. I, I, I love what it says here. I have a passage from... Let me just read you something that I enjoyed reading about this particular verse. This came from a Puritan theologian named William Gouge. I, I, just, I love the way Puritans write. So stick with me here. This is, this is kind of like walking through honey. My brethren. This is what he's talking about. Who, who, who are the, who's my brethren? My brothers. This gives evidence of the low condescension of the Son of God and also the high exaltation of sons of men. That's us. For the Son of God to be a brother to the sons of men is a great degree of humiliation. And for the sons of men... To be made brethren with the Son of God is a high degree of exaltation. For Christ's brethren are in that respect sons of God, heirs of heaven, or kings, not earthly but heavenly, not temporary but everlasting kings. This respect of Christ to his brethren, in this verse, is great encouragement and comfort to such as are despised and scorned by men of this world for Christ's professing of them that's so beautifully written that's I, I love the way that's written it talks about how man is elevated through what Christ did and through Christ's condescension the humiliation that he undertook as a man and so it's all kind of written right there great passage let me read to you a couple things. I want, and you can write these down. Uh, we probably won't turn to them, but I'll write. Nice, I'll tell you really slowly this time. Romans eight fifteen. And, and and I'm going to read these things, and I want you to keep in mind that when it says that we are sons and daughters, brethren, sons and daughters of God. Uh, excuse me, sons sons and daughters of God, and and uh, we are adopted into His family. And we are brothers and sisters with Christ. the The scriptures are uh, talk about adoption, and and even later in Hebrews it talks about it. In fact, it talks about adoption in, in that it says, "If Christ, dis, if God disciplines you, know that it's for your good, and it shows that you truly are sons of God and daughters of God. Because if you I mean, what father, even on the what earthly father would even do that if it was not you know? On a, so we are truly." Sons and daughters of God, so Romans 18 oh, sorry excuse me Romans 8:15. Paul says, "For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba Father, love that. Galatians four, three through seven. I'll let you write that down. Sometimes you can just write these down and go back and look at them in your journals, and it affirms. What we're talking about right here about being adopted, being brethren. Galatians 4, 3 to 7. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, and what is that? God sent forth his son, born of a woman. This shows the humanity of God, of, of Jesus, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. That's the the, the law that Hebrews is talking against, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's just beautiful. Ephesians, last one, Ephesians chapter 1 Verses 3 to 6. Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 6. Again, scripture affirming scripture. Ephesians 1, 3 to 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. Excuse me, before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. That goes right back to, for it was fitting. That was fitting. It was His will to put Christ to death. It's a perfect plan. To praise Christ of his glorious race which he has blessed us with in the has blessed us in the beloved so beautiful ver, uh, verses there are passages that that affirm this this sonship this daughtership that we have this we're brothers and sisters with Christ and we are truly sons and daughters of God if we are believers and just trying to kind of wrap my head around that a bit, because in life, you know, we, we can be rejected by family. We definitely will be rejected by the world. And sometimes all we, you know, I, I was thinking about this the other day when, uh, you know, Pastor Brenton is going through trials with, with you know, his father and, and, and with his son. at uh, both ends. And I was talking with him uh, recently, but uh, we had a lunch together. And we were reminded in conversation that everything in life will, will wane and wax and wane and, and, and we'll, it's like a roller coaster. Things will come, things will go. Our pleasures in life will come and they will go and hardships will come and they will go. But the only thing we have that is truly foundational, that is never going to change, is that anchor of Christ and what He's done for us. When all else fails, we know that we can stop and think and rejoice and celebrate that we are sons and daughters of God, of the living God, and that we are brothers and sisters with Christ, who we will someday, for eternity, serve with. And so that's something we need to constantly keep on the forefront of our minds. We always want to keep the gospel in the forefront and what Christ has done for us. But as we dig in a little deeper to understand the doctrine of salvation and why it's such a good plan and why it's the perfect plan, um, I think it's just important to remember these things through the trials, that that's our constant, what we know to be true. Because if you don't have that, I can't imagine going through life without that anchor of what we know. Um... So as we continue here in in verse 13, it it, it affirms it again with a couple of passages in Isaiah. I will put my trust in Him, which refers to Jesus' trust in the Father in doing His perfect will as He did. And again, behold, I and the children of God I and the children of God excuse me, and the children God has given me. And I want to pause right there. The whole next section, 14 through 18 is this glorious passage about our perfect high priest. So don't, don't look at it. Don't even read it right now. Just keep your eyes off it. Just put your hand over it. Don't go there. I saw you looking, but it's, it's too good to start tonight. We're, 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 I can't, I don't know how time flies. It used to, I used to, I used to take three chapters and I'd do them in 20 minutes when I started, you know, but let's just, why don't we save that? Because it's, it's, it's rich. It's beautiful. Let me just read a couple things to you. I mean, you can still take notes. I do have some more things to tell you. You're not going anywhere yet. It's, not, it's still raining a little bit, so stay here. So let me read one more thing for you. You guys are laughing at me, not with me. Here's another thing that Michael Kruger says. Michael Kruger is a modern-day theologian. And this is going to kind of give you a hint or a glimpse into the next, next week. Or not next week, but the week after. Okay? Just listen to this. If he, referring to Jesus, was not truly human, then he could not truly represent us. And if he could not truly represent us, he could not truly save us. So that, that, that's kind of what's coming. I want to wait on that because we have a perfect high priest and we're going to talk more about all the things we kind of talked about in popcorn conversation about how he was truly man and truly felt and truly experienced everything and if he hadn't he would have never been able to truly redeem us. He was the perfect sacrifice. So in conclusion firstly perfect through suffering, Uh, this side of heaven, we will never, ever be perfect. There are not enough good works that we can do to satisfy our debt. Christ, however, did satisfy it because he was made perfect through his suffering. He was perfect for us. So the question I have in that is knowing that we cannot get to heaven, have true salvation by good works. Nonetheless, as we continue our walk, and we'll see as we get into the later chapters of Hebrews, how we are to work on our sanctification, that walk of faith as we head towards Christ and try to become more like Christ. And I often thought when I was younger, like how in the world can we be more like Christ? That's impossible. What does that mean? We, no, we can't, and we never will be like Christ on this earth. We'll never be perfect. We will always have sin in our lives. But we can certainly move in a direction, not based on trying to do good works, but move in a direction to try to become more like Christ. That's the point of sanctification. With the help of the Holy Spirit, moving in a direction where we did not sin this past week as we did a year ago. We are, we are, and again, remember what I said, it's not, I didn't say this, my bad, I don't remember who said it. It's not the perfection in our lives, it's the direction of our lives. Mm-hmm. That's an indicator of our belief. What bend, do, what do we lean towards? That, was good. that wasn't me. That was good. Yeah, but right, we'll never be perfect. Who will? Christ. He was perfect. He is perfect. He's elevated. We can't be. That's the whole point of this is that He was and we can't be. But we can, But that's not an excuse not to continue to strive to be more like Christ. Secondly, do you know that you are adopted? Do you understand that? Do you know that Christ, every moment, is interceding for you and praying for you? As, as elevated on the throne, sitting next to God, and also as your brother. That's That's just, do you know that you have a loving father that truly hears your pleas? We pray the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and Christ, the one that was literally on this earth as a man intercedes for us as our brother who will be with for eternity. just, I, don't know, I get goosebumps. This is kind of neat, you know. And sometimes you have to, you have to kind of wade through the hard stuff, but we don't want to get caught in the too much nitty gritty. You want to always back up a little bit and look at the fullness of all of it, and, and what it means, and how beautiful that is. So, let's stop there. Let's pick up on fourteen the next time we meet, and because um, it's it's rich. It talks about our perfect high priest, and uh, so it's it's a good section. So, don't read ahead, Frank. I see you are reading. <laughs> Well, let's go ahead and close in prayer. And then after that, we'll shut down the live stream and we'll take prayer requests and have a time of prayer for that, okay? Father, we thank you for this day, Lord. We love you. As we pray to you right now, we realize that we pray to the Father, we pray, Lord, and the Son is there right there next to you, interceding for us. We have the Holy Spirit within us, helping us as we pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth of this. As we go this week and think about these things, Lord, let us reflect on these things and let your Holy Spirit that lives in us help illuminate and, and bring to light in life these passages so that they're just not in our heads, but they're in our hearts, Father. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us. In your name we pray, amen.